knowing we don't need intros. That's right, Jack. And with that, of course, we've started the Wages of Cinema. That wasn't that was me just trying to be fun. And let's have some fun today on the Wages of Cinema. I am Jack. Always with me is Andrew. That's that's right. I'm always here. Yes. He's <laughs> I've always been here. Whether you know it or not. You're like the you're like the the butler or the the guy in uh, the Shining. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm that guy. Yeah, you're 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 the guy that's always been there. Um, I'm ready to have some fun, Jack. Yeah. Are fun. you ready to start the two minute movie mile? Um, I believe so. Let's not. You want to do any preamble before that? I don't think there's much else to talk I about not, today. I got not much to talk One about. One small Let's, thing I wanted to mention right. though. Um, so as I mentioned, I've been reading Lee Boonwell's autobiography. Oh yeah. And um. One of the things that we brought up, or actually you brought up on the, the commentary uh, for Unchin Andalou, which everybody can check out on YouTube. Uh, you can check it out on my page. It's at Jack Atanella. Um You mentioned about the whole aspect of the martini shaker and how that is is really important in the in the movie. Right. Um, apparently, yeah, like it's without going out saying martinis were paramount for Buñuel. And he actually gives his recipe for making like the perfect martini in uh, his uh, in his memoir. Um, you don't say. Yeah, he has a whole technique for it, um, and it's like he uh, <laughs> like and he talks about how like some he used to work with somebody when he worked at MoMA in the forties, and like they they he tried to give him a different recipe for it, and he's like I kind of looked at him like he was saying something completely blasphemous. <laughs> like, he apparently is a big snob when it came to his martini, but, like... So if you want to make a movie that shocks Buñuel to his core, make one about a terrible martini. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's that's <clears throat> Luis Buñuel's Lodge d'Or. Yeah. <laughs> See someone just, like, making a martini with, like, Red Bull or something, and yeah, he'll uh, he'll rise from the grave and like punch you in the mouth. Oh man, if I could get Buñuel to rise from the grave, I would definitely ruin a martini. <laughs> <laughs> Zombie Buñuel, that sounds like a movie. Like not uh, a good movie, maybe but not. it sounds like a like a movie. Yeah. It was it was kind of, and that's the, like that movie about how George Washington was really a vampire. Uh, I think you're this a, really it, exists. Not Abraham Lincoln. No. Oh, so there's a George Washington vampire. Movie? I mean, it's, it's probably not good, but I well, know yeah. it exists. God. Oy. But that's another story. Yeah. Let, now let's, let's talk get about going. the movies. So, Jack, you will go first. Am you I going to go first? As always, uh, we have two minutes to talk about each uh, each movie that we've seen over the past two weeks. Yes. Jack is going to go first because, as always, Jack sees more movies than I do. So, are you ready? Uh, let me just set my stopwatch for you, and I am ready. All right, set, go. Okay, I watched a movie that nobody's ever seen before called The Silence of the Lambs. Um, so, all right. all right, now, all right, so I hadn't seen this movie in a little while. Uh, we don't need to go into the plot that much. A couple things I want to talk about. Uh, one thing is watching this movie again, and it might have been because we had just had our talk about women in action movies and, you know, Mad Max Fury Road. I was really aware watching it this time, uh, you know, how much Clarice Starling is in like a man's world, so to yeah. speak. Like it, it almost could become like too, like heavy-handed, but I think John and Demi keeps it careful where he keeps it just from going over the edge. Yeah, if you, if anyone who's seen Silence of the Lambs, I, it's mo everything else pretty much overshadows the themes about. Uh, 
you know, be, of being a woman in the FBI. and A lot of it's about the male gaze. And it's not just, you know, there's the obvious thing where he, she first goes to meet Hannibal Lecter and the other prisoner literally throws his ejaculate at him. Um, but then there's also just when she goes into a room, like they do the, they look at one of Buffalo Bill's victims and all the men are just kind of like looking at her and it's not even so much, they're not looking at her sexual wise. They're just no. like, Oh, there's a woman here. And yeah. I guess in 1990, that was a big deal. Um, well, in the eighties, it was unusual for a woman to drive a man yeah, around. Yeah. So, so there was that I noticed in the movie. The other thing I noticed, Ted Levine, now he plays Buffalo Bill. Right. He's hilarious in this movie. He is. I know that maybe t- maybe it's because of time has passed and maybe I don't know, maybe I'm a terrible person. And but Ted I Levine, find him I find him so funny. Like yeah, and Ted Levine has been in so much stuff, like so much TV and so many movies, like always playing a cop because he was afraid of playing more psychos because he didn't want to be typecast. He played the he plays like the psycho here. He goes toe to toe with Anthony Hopkins as far as playing this kind of guy. So Silence of the Lambs, a modern classic. Go watch it All if you haven't. Right, time. All right. There's a lot I could talk about with that movie, but only so much time. All right. All right, so let's get started with you in three, two, one. My first movie was Top Secret with Val Kilmer, yeah. Peter Cushing, and... Peter oh. Cushing was in this? Yes, he was. He had a cameo. I, and, I've uh, only seen parts of this movie, and what I've seen is very Omar funny. Omar Sharif is in this, too. Oh, nice. Okay, and so those are the you've only been talking... three people from this movie that you'll ever recognize. Okay, so you've been talking about wanting to see us for a while. Did it live up to expectations? Lived up to my expectations. It's by the same people who did Naked Gun films and Airplane. They're called it's... the Zaz, Zucker, Abram Zucker. Right, and it's this one's just full of, uh, full of great jokes, full of great gags. Uh, it's a... It's a parody of World War II and Elvis movies. Yeah, it's and kind of a gets, rock and roll movie. Yeah, like the and, the opening credits, it opens. I remember on a beach, and like everybody's running around, skeet surfing. Yeah. <laughs> and let me ask you something. You said you gave this film a negative review. I did. Yeah, you said. I said, oh, I plan to watch Top Secret, and you're like, why do I know that movie? And it's like, oh yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't say that, did I? Yeah, that's what no. you said because I told you that I bought Top Secret. I. I can't believe I said that. I'd have well, to go back. I don't want to believe that you said that because this is a decent movie. I mean, it's it's a pr- pretty good movie. Maybe I love, it's, I love maybe the old school Zucker yeah, Brothers. Maybe stuff. it doesn't reach the same heights as uh, as Airplane, but it's still solid and a lot of fun. I I didn't take notes for this movie. I just laughed all I'm, the way I'm through. I'm gonna watch it. Like I'll watch it again very soon. I actually not to say again. I've never seen it in full. So for me to say that I didn't like it means that either I was lying or I was being stupid. Okay. Probably both. Uh, is the is the singing horse as funny as uh, uh, Craig <laughs> points <Yes>. out? <laughs> the singing horse just made me stop and I couldn't breathe for a while. Um, yeah. So, uh, any other things you want to say about any favorite scene? Uh, there's a uh, th- I th- there's favorite so many joke. Great scenes. I uh, can't think of like oh like Omar Sharif. He gets like crushed in a car compactor, and right, later time. you see him. Oh. See, that's a tease, people. You have to go out and find out what happened to Omar Sharif. All right. <laughs> All right, Jack, your next movie. One, two, three, go. Okay, my next movie is called The People vs. Paul Crump. Um, this is a documentary from 1962. Um, so long before The Thin Blue Line or uh, The Central Park Five, uh, we had this movie, which is the first time that William Friedkin took a stab at doing something for the big screen. Actually, he originally made it for television, 
uh, but it found its way into film festivals. What it's about is this man, uh, this man Paul Crump, is on death row, and he was, you know, found guilty of uh, killing this uh, guardsman during an armed robbery. And what Paul Crump says, you know, emphatically over and over is that I wasn't there. I was, you know, you know, I was put the finger on by this guy who hated me, and. You know, and you know, but it, just like now, the reason I bring up the Thin Blue Line was, of course, that was a movie where, you know, by making this movie, a guy got off death row, right? Which is, you know, I don't mean to say spoiler, but this is what happened in real life: the guy got off death row. It's public record. Yeah, it's public record. Um, they interview the real guy. Unlike the the difference between this and the Thin Blue Line, I mean, that's that's a that's one of the great documentaries because of you remember the reenactments in that, and they're so. You good know, reenactments. Yeah, good Not reenactments. Not like those crappy sort of History Channel reenactments. Yeah. This is like, um, this is very gritty. Um, the recreations, if you've seen William Freakin's early stuff, like The French Connection, it has a little bit of that feel. Everything looks like it's shot in real locations. Non-professional actors doing these reenactments. So it's a little more traditional, but there's a real sense of rage and injustice that is palpable in the movie. Um, because there's also, again, the civil rights even though they don't mention it directly, you can feel it. Like, it's there in the soul of the movie. Uh, and, you know, like, how he was basically tortured to basically give this fake fake confession is one of the main things. Time. So, yeah. All right. Uh, and, of course, when I think of Paul Crump, I think of Who is Harry Crumb, which is a movie that no one remembers with John Candy. That's one that really no one. That one I could probably say isn't very good, but I don't remember much of it. I only saw a little bit of it as a kid because my dad loved John Candy. So, all right, all right. So Andrew, you are going to go up in three, two, one. I saw for the first time Monty Python's Life of Brian. Oh, you never seen it? No. Uh, I just uh, it's directed by Terry Jones. Yeah, and I love Terry Jones's uh, eye for historical detail. Now Eventually, should, he now, goes on to make several uh, history documentaries. Mm. Uh, which uh, I, th I just think like Monty Python and Life of Brian really spurred his interest in ancient mm. history, and that shows in this film too. Now I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I just also wanted to point out actually that um, the sort of deal that the two Terrys made, because both Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam directed Holy Grail. Right. Now Terry Jones wanted to direct uh, Life of Brian by himself, but the, but the deal they ended up making was that Terry Gilliam did all the production design. So yeah. actually, that's all his doing. Um, there's a lot of funny stuff in this movie. Yeah, my favorite sequence is the ex-leper sequence. <laughs> it's early in the film, after they go to the stoning, and Brian's heading home, and Michael Palin is like, like there are a bunch of lepers, and Michael Palin's like the only one who looks normal. Oh, and he's yeah. like, spare a coin for an ex-leper? He's like, wait a minute, an ex-leper? is like, yeah, this guy, <laughs> this guy named Jesus <laughs> cured me. Pretty much stole my livelihood. Yeah. He's like, there's just, no, there's just no pleasing some people. He's like, that's <laughs> what Jesus said. <laughs> I think the movie does a really great job of, uh, you know, it doesn't make fun of Christianity. It makes fun of the people who completely twist and pervert Christianity. It makes fun of everybody. It I love does. how I love how like all the revolutionaries are par parodies of like terrorist sects nowadays. It's like, yeah, uh, we hate the Romans most 
reiterate the Romans more than anyone, except for the people's uh, no, the, 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 the Roman the Judean people's front or the 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 people's front of Judea. I'm yes. trying to remember the joke, <laughs> and but, that is the joke. Like it's all these different groups, and I love the Latin scene where Brian has to draw that graffiti, yeah. and I feel like this was the most personal for the Pythons because they went to boarding school and probably had to deal with Latin teachers who were horrible people. Yeah, so uh, I just love this great movie. Always for look on the side of life, right. Uh, the bright side of life, I should say, and we're time. All right. Um, yeah, it's funny because uh, as a side note, I was first made aware of that movie early in college because uh, uh, John Lazaration, our friend uh, who made Bicycles, the short film, uh, the first project he made when he went there was called I Like Pete, which is basically a riff on Life of Brian, where everybody uh, falls around this guy Pete, like as if he's yeah. the messiah. Next movie, go. Oh, the next movie is uh, In the Name of the Father. Um, talking about movies about injustice, uh, this is another one. Um, starring Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, this takes place... It starts off sort of in the 70s. Uh, he's this Irishman uh, living in Ireland. Uh, but he... <laughs> that makes sense. It's when the IRA are really tearing shit up in Belfast. Uh, things are really tense. And so he goes... Uh, to be for a little while to be in London and he hangs out there with some hippie friends or sort of acquaintances. But, uh, one night a, uh, a bomb goes off in a pub and kills some people. And, and again, another thing where somebody puts the finger on, uh, our main character and yeah. because he's Irish in the wrong city at the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, he act yourself out of this Daniel day Lewis. <laughs> oh, he, man, he does. Uh, but what happens is that, you know, he signs a confession that he did it even though he didn't because, you know, if you're putting enough, enough yeah. under enough pressure, you'll crack just because it's like, I don't want to be here anymore. All right, I'll sign. Yeah. And that's a really, it's tough to watch that. You know, it's like Kafka-esque and just terrible. But what happens, though, is that his father also gets blamed. He's uh, played by this actor, Pete Postlewaite. I don't right. know if you remember him. I've, yeah, I, I know him. He, he, he actually was in Inception. He played Chilean Murphy's father. He was also in Alien 3. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, so he goes, ends up going to jail with Daniel Day-Lewis because he was he was put the blame on for making the bombs or something, even though he's just a normal guy. So you follow them in prison and, you know, how, like, and it's also, it's really more of like a father-son story in large part because they are kind of have a fractured relationship. The son is kind of a hothead. And, you know, it's Daniel Day-Lewis. He's, he's one of our great actors. Right. You know, you're going to want to watch it wrong. for him. And, uh... Not flawless, but a really Time. good movie. Lots of light fare this this day. <laughs> okay. Here, I'm going to lighten things up right away. Well, you seem to be having some good comedies uh, going on. All right. Let's go in uh, three, two, one. All right. Uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Disney version. Oh, yeah. This was... This, this is uh, James Mason, Michael Douglas, Peter Lorre. Uh, did, you Kirk say, du did you say Michael Douglas? Sorry, Kirk Douglas. Yes, yeah, he wasn't around. Kirk yet. Douglas, and he sings in this movie. Oh, boy. Yeah, sings pretty well. And let me tell you, I saw this movie first when I was in when I was 10, and it changed my life. How so? All right, I was 10, and late, I, I saw this, like, my best friend showed it to me. And he's like, oh, I got this movie, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I'm like, do we really want to watch a documentary about the sea? And he's like, no, it's not that at all. I saw it, and I was hooked. Like, the... And I realize now why I dis why I liked it so much because Captain Nemo 
was an antisocial guy who was so sick of humanity that he went to live <laughs> under the sea in a submarine. Wow. And later on, like, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade, like, I had few friends and I didn't do too well in school and I felt like kind of by myself. So my this became my dream. It was To like, live under the sea? To, to build my own submarine and live under the sea. That was like my fantasy. And it would occasionally and like, meet Spongebob. And this got kids. like two TV movies back in the 90s, like with Richard Crenna and one with Michael Caine. And I watched those all the time. So there's, this was this like, this like really affected me. There's been a proposed remake for a while that it, I hope it happens, but it might not. And of all people, David Fincher is attached to direct it. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, the cool things about this, the design of the Nautilus is really great. It looks like this sort of big swordfish, and like, mm -hmm. and has this. And when you see it from far away, it looks really elegant. But then when you get into the close-up shots, you see like all the rivets and the angles, and it looks really well designed. Uh, the underwater scenes are very well staged, mm -hmm. so you don't. Uh, so you're like, well, and then like all the sea creatures are actually there. Uh, just good old school effects. It was a CinemaScope production, the very first Disney did. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Classic. Love it. It's time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I haven't seen that many of those old school Disney live action flicks. I know they're they're, they're hit around. and miss, but uh, some of them are great. Yeah, this All one right. seemed to have a lot of star power. Yeah. All right. Let me just quickly. Uh, All right. Okay. It's one's your turn. Ready, set, go. Secrets and Lies. Jeez. That isn't at all uh, uh, curious. This is by the director, Mike Lee. Uh, I Why mentioned don't you lighten him... up every once in a while, Jack? This one, all right, this isn't as dark as the other ones. I mean, it is a drama, and there's an airplane out there. Um, but this one is, uh, Mike Lee's my kind of filmmaker, uh, I realized. I haven't seen a ton of his movies, but I've seen, I talked about Mr. Turner on the podcast a while back. Right. He also made the movie Naked, uh, Topsy Turvy, uh, a few others. What this is about, in short, uh, this woman, this uh, black woman, she's uh, in her 20s, and she decides, you know what? I know I've been adopted. I was adopted. I want to find out my real birth mother. And she finds out the information, and uh oh, it turns out it's a white woman. Wow, that's Which really. Uh... <laughs> now, the, wow. here's what that's I like awkward. about it. here's what I like about it. The movie, this could have been like a sappy saccharine guess who's coming to dinner type of thing, yeah. which would have been awful. They don't do that. They make it more about just these characters. They build up the the the, the world of these people. Then this this woman, this white woman, she's played by Brenda Blethyn. She's like this working class really depressed person who uh you know like she doesn't have a husband her daughter is kind of like this smart mouth uh like she works in a factory and like her brother is this really tr like happy-go-lucky uh photographer guy um but by meeting her you know this daughter that she like she was like 16 when she gave her up it was one of those yeah. accidental things and of course at first you know she's kind of like crying throughout the first half of this movie but by meeting this woman we get to kind of see this friendship develop. Not, you know, like a mother-daughter thing, but it becomes like a genuine, like, I want you actually in my life. I want, let's try to open up. Let's try to get the secrets and lies away. Time. Time. And as a side note, that won the Golden Palm in 1996. Oh, that sounds actually really, uh, really intriguing. Maybe I'll check that it out. It was a British film. Um, I, I mentioned Timothy Spall. Um, I know I'm kind of, this is, this isn't cheating. Yeah. I'm talking about the movie. I'm talking about the actor. Timothy Spall, who is Mr. Turner, uh, he's in this. All right. Um, All right. Uh, my on. turn. 
Yeah, your turn, Mr. Bond. Um, hold on. I lost my alarm clock. All right. Um, all right, ready, set, go. All right, this is one you saw a few weeks ago, Meshes of the Afternoon. Okay. Uh, another surrealist short film. This yes. one is uh, American, filmed in the 1940s. Yeah, a, co a collaboration with, uh, by uh, Maya, Darren, Maya Darren. Maya Darren, and there's, I forget the other guy's name. Uh, I think she, she was either her, he was either her husband or Richard's. Uh, damn it! I should have this open. This is yeah. why I, we should and, tell things. Uh, the 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 title "Meshes of the Afternoon" really seems to have to do with sort of a dreamscape. How your thoughts yeah. mesh together, and how mm -hmm. time seems to mesh together. Sure. Uh, lots of instances of overlapping time and different points of view of uh -huh. different objects, uh, mirrors, uh, seeing doubles of oneself. Uh huh. Uh, Really intriguing. What do you think? Uh, what was your take on this when you saw it? I I liked it a lot. I I took it that you could read into a lot of different things. Like the imagery is much more concrete in a way than Unchin Andalu. Even though it's a even though it's dreamlike, it's not just we're not just doing anything that comes to our head. Even though Unchin Andalu is connected, but here a figure like the person in black. That's a really stark figure that probably a lot of people think of that as death. Unchan Andalu does very strange things with very commonplace objects, except maybe a dead donkey. Yeah. But uh, this seems to really go for more unusual images. Well, I, well, something I found interesting, the movie starts off, you actually don't see uh, Maya Darren plays the woman too. You don't see her face. You just see her feet and her legs. Yeah, at the beginning, right. And then yeah. it's not until a few minutes in that we see her face. Yeah, I found that kind of interesting. Like, she doesn't really have that much of an identity until she goes into the world of dreams. Yeah. Uh, Compared to the other ones, how does this hold up to you? This holds up pretty well. I'd, I'd just like to watch it again and uh, take it in a little more. Maybe do some commentary on it. I, Maybe I we'll like do it. that time. Okay. Yeah, that that's it's one of the more famous ones, and I've been meaning to see that for years. All right, yours, uh, Jack, go. Um, Infernal Affairs. Have you ever heard of this movie? Yeah. It is what was used as the basis for The Departed. Uh, it's a Chinese movie uh, from Andrew Lau, and uh, I forget the other guy's name. It was directed by two people. Um, all right, so here's the deal with this movie. If you've seen The Departed... You've basically seen Infernal Affairs. The difference is Infernal Affairs is actually shorter than The Departed. Like, The Departed was about two and a half hours. This is a little over 90 minutes. Um, I have to... This is a good movie. It is. The two main actors who basically play the the cop and uh, the criminal who, you know, go undercover in, their, in the other sides. Yeah. Um, they're both very good. But... My issue with this, I think the problem is I can't escape having seen The Departed. And yet, yeah. I think even, it was hard for me not to compare it to that. Because, frankly, A, I think The Departed just had more character. It had more humor. You had, like, what happens in Infernal Affairs, like, the sort of opening of the movie, like, in the first 20 minutes, that's the midpoint in The Departed. Wow. That's, like, the, the, the Chinese drug deal that Nicholson has. That's sort of the early part in the Infernal Affairs. <laughs> this um, movie was trading with the other movie. Yeah, like, I... It, but even on its own, there's not a lot of character to it. It kind of is just rushing through the plot, I felt. Yeah. The music, which normally I don't make a big deal of, sucks. Uh, the music is that sappy, like, 
generic Asian action movie music. Would you say that if you hadn't seen Departed, you would have enjoyed this more? I don't know. Maybe a little bit, but I tried. I tried my best to look at this on its own terms, and yet I still thought there were flaws to it. Like it does the kind of thing where it has flashbacks to things earlier in the movie that you don't need. Oh. I hate when movies do that. It's a big pet peeve of mine. All right, time. Last one. Oh yeah, I guess I have to follow that up, right? You don't yeah, I'm out of movies. So uh, let's do this. Go. Great expectations. Speaking of light fare, yeah, uh, this is this is a little lighter by the nature of being Dickens, right? Y'all, well, this comes from uh, the David Lean version uh, from 1946, uh, which is considered by many to be kind of like the Dickens movie, like the classic brand. Oh, yeah, um, I say. Well, I think some people do. I don't know. I mean, Roger Ebert, I think, might have written that. Um, you know, you might know the story of Great Expectations about young Pip. Uh, who, uh, you know, uh, you know, takes care, you know, starts off helping a prisoner, then, go, you know, then goes to work for Miss Haversham, meets, uh, the, the lovely, I think it's Alyssa. Oh God, I might be messing that up. Damn me world. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, somehow by chance becomes a man of fortune, a quote, man of great expectations. Hmm. And of course he's not told who his great benefactor is and we'll find out through the course of the story who, um, I like this movie quite a bit. Um, the production is the, the production design and just the look of it is fantastic. Um, like the third act for me has a couple of twists, t- not even twists, but like reveals that I found a little hard to swallow. But I still felt David Lean's direction made it work better okay. than like it didn't. It, it was still melodramatic in a sense, and like you kind of look at it and go, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I, I'm guessing you haven't seen Expectations. No. Expectations. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff to recommend here. Al Guinness, this is his first movie. Uh, he plays... Oh, he kind of plays... Weird. It's weird seeing him young. Yeah. He's like... You always picture Al him Guinness, as Obi-Wan you know, a very, Kenobi. Yeah, you know, a very good-looking man. He actually wasn't that, that bad-looking. No, he was... Uh, Great, and you know, eventually became a great comic yeah. actor. Yeah. It's kind of, but, a, it's kind of right, unfortunate. To sum it up, from that yeah, way. lots of great production design. Like I said, Miss Haversham's mansion is a sight unto itself, and uh, I watched it. Okay, and that is the two minute movie mile. I wish I had seen more movies this week. Uh, oh, I was, so did I. I was kind of busy doing the uh, the four eight hour film challenge, which hopefully that will be going up online pretty soon. We'll provide a link to it along with everything yeah, else. Why not? We should do like we should do that. Uh, and um, yeah, and just life, I guess, sometimes comes up. Uh, also, there aren't like I'm still waiting for some new movies to come out. Like this week was just kind of. Am I gonna go see Entourage or Insidious Three? I'd um, rather see Entourage than Insidious Three, but that's um, for another time. Yeah. So we're gonna take a short break. We're coming back with our list movies for the year. The list. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. I was I was trying to do the Schindler's List line, and I was making him sound like a bad Charlton Heston. We'll be back. <laughs> 